Okay, so here we go. And hi to those of you who are watching online today. So great that you could be with us. So we are in our Disciple Maker series, as Matt already said. And today there is a focus about the Samaritan woman, or in some people's Bibles, you might find it as a woman at the well. So if you want to turn with me, we're going to be looking at John 4 today. So feel free to turn on your devices, feel free to um, open up your Bibles, etc., etc. But this Disciple Maker series, Series is really an encouragement and actually kind of a real stepping out, breaking out moment for us here at Zio about what it looks like for us to really take seriously the mandate to be disciple makers and to become a movement of people that become disciples, who then make disciples, who then make disciples, who then make disciples. That's the journey that we feel compelled as a church leadership team to be going on. And all the way through this disciple maker series, we're going to be learning about examples of courageous men and women and stories that can help us harness and us understand what it looks like to be our own disciple makers as well. So let's have a look at John 4. We're not going to read it all today because actually it's a really long story but I would encourage you in your own time at some point today to make sure if you are not familiar with the story already to make sure that you have a read about some of the gems that are in it. So who was this woman at the well? Well, actually, she was never named. Yet her encounter with Jesus is one of the longest encounters that's recorded in the whole of the Gospel of John. So she is kind of like the lowest of the low in society. She's a female in society where both women were demeaned, they were disregarded. She was a race that was traditionally kind of despised by the Jews. And she was living in shame as a social outcast. But she had this holy encounter with Jesus where she then received this moment with Jesus that changed the whole purpose of her life and the travel of her life. And she receives Jesus' eternal salvation. And get this, her story, her story convinces nearly an entire town to then believe in Jesus. I mean, come on. Her story convinces nearly an entire town to believe in Jesus. You know, it kind of gets me wondering as we go on this journey ourselves as being disciple makers, I wonder what our story could do. I wonder where our story could make a difference. I wonder where our story could take us. So what was the significance of this woman at the well? And why is her tale so important to help encourage us to be disciple makers? Well, before we delve a little bit deeper, let me tell you my own story. My own story of how I came to know Jesus. So I was brought up in a Christian family and my mum and dad and my brother, we all went to a Church of England church in Derbyshire. But faith really never became my own until the age of 18. You see, my early years were quite difficult for a number of reasons. I was kind of brought up in a school system that didn't understand me and uh, they didn't understand me because I didn't find out until I was 21 that I've got severe dyslexia. So all the way through my school, it was really, really difficult for me. I was always being told off for being the chatty one, the distracted one. I was always being picked on for being thick, etc. And alongside that struggle of not feeling like I could actually just be part of that educational system, 
I was like just long-term bullied as well, like physically and also emotionally. So life was a bit hard and coupled with that, although my family were people of faith, both my mum and dad had really serious long-term health struggles. My mum, who's disabled and really struggles with mobility issues. And my dad at the time, who had such a severe mental health breakdown that in my teenage years, he was sectioned and then lived in a mental health institution. Now, all these years were really, really hard for me and it just left me feeling completely disconnected to this God who we're told loves us, this God who we're told is there for us. So my teenage years were just full of multiple decisions and multiple choices that just took me further away from God rather than close to him. Until one day, hanging on by literally a thread was my relationship with the local church, that they encouraged me to go to a Christian festival called Spring Harvest. Now, truth be told, church, and I can tell you because we have to be honest, the only reason I went is because I fancied a boy. I know, yeah. And so I went because I thought, come on, this could be a moment for me and said boy. And, but obviously it wasn't because you were my boy. <laughs> so I get to this festival, Spring Harvest. I'm really naughty all the way through the whole week. I don't go to sessions. I just hang out with loads of other people. I'm rebellious. And then one day someone said to me, come on, Amy, this is not cool. Someone's actually encouraged you to come to this conference. You've got time out. You've got time away from all of the responsibilities of being a young carer, all the struggles with things that are happening with your mum and dad, etc. Just at least go to one section. So this session that I went to was basically then the session where we heard the story of Jesus, his gospel story, some people might tell us. And the person that was preaching on the stage talked about how Jesus, God's son, came to have a relationship with us. He came for every single person, the marginalised, the oppressed, the people like this Samaritan woman who represented at that time the lowest of the low, the demeaned in society, the disregarded. And as I started to hear more about this Jesus, the preacher then said, you know, what have you got to lose by asking the God of the universe to come and make himself real to you? And I sat there and I pondered on this question and I thought, well, what have I got to lose by asking the God of the universe to come and make himself real to me? But there was also this other internal battle that was going off in my heart that day. And the voice that raged around my head was this, why would you have anything to do with me? Why, Jesus, would you have anything to do with me? So many people don't love me. My life's a mess. I've made consistent choices and decisions that have taken me further away from you. And I know full well in what I knew about Christianity, I did things that would not be pleasing to God. Why would you have anything to do with me? And in the grappling of that question and then the kind of intrigue of saying, I'm just going to ask him, make himself real to me. I decided to push through. So I stood there and I said in my head, God, if you are real, make yourself known to me. Now, all of a sudden, I started to cry. And now I'm not just talking like a little bit of a cry. I'm talking like full on snot, shoulders shaking, like crying. Now this embarrassed me because the boy that I fancied was quite near. But also it embarrassed me because I was surrounded by peers where because of how I've been brought up, I just had this mentality to just go on my own, stand on my own strength. Don't be vulnerable. Don't let my guard down. Um, don't show anybody weakness. And I was embarrassed. So I closed my eyes. And you know when you try to 
compose yourself when you're crying and you just can't. It's a bit like Tim, bless, that was a beautiful moment. You can't, you just got to go with it. You've got to let it out. And um, there's this incredible moment where I started crying and in my embarrassment, I thought, I'll just close my eyes. I'll just close my eyes. Everyone will just go away. And as I closed my eyes, I felt my friend Amy, who's also called Amy, came up to me and I felt her hold my hand. Eventually, I composed myself. And as I composed myself, I turned around to open my eyes and thank her for just kind of being with me. And no one was there. And as I looked around me, no one was actually anywhere near me. But my hand was in this position, like a really firm, gripped position, like I was holding somebody's hand. And I knew there and then, friends, that the presence of God, his physical touch, had like come into my life. And I would argue with any of you about um, how real and how special that moment was for me. It was a real tangible moment where not only did I know that God wanted something to do with me, but I also knew that he made himself real to me. So that was at the age of 18. And then I went into full-time ministry. And let's skip a whole load of other stuff. And now I'm here today. (laughs) Why would you have anything to do with me? Is a question that probably every single one of us have asked. And maybe some of us here today are still on a journey to faith. And our own kind of question is, God, why would you have anything to do with me? But that same question is found with this woman, this woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, where she kind of said to Jesus, why would you have anything to do with me? She asked when Jesus asked her to draw some water from the well. Let's remember that there was no love lost between the Samaritans and the Jews at that time. And whilst many of the Jews would have avoided Samaria at all costs, Jesus did not. And in fact, he left the success of his ministry in Judea. And as he was going to Galilee, he purposely went through the town of Samaria. Verse 4 says, now he had to go through Samaria. He had to go through Samaria. Now, whilst most Jews would have made their travel through Samaria as quick as possible, Jesus stays for a whole two days. And not only does he stay for a whole two days, but he counterculturally breaks every social and religious rule to spend time with this woman. Why? Because of a deep compassion and a deep conviction in God, in God, in Jesus, God's son, to actually say, I came for the one and I came for the world. You see, our Jesus, he is driven by love. He's compelled to act. He has an overriding compassion and passion in him that spills out of him and that approached this moment that said he had to go. He had to talk with this woman and he had to stay for the sake of her and then for the sake of many that she brought to introduce him to Jesus later. And we'll get to that point later. So here at this well, she and Jesus have this long encounter. They talk theologically. Now, this is something that a rabbi would have never have done at this time. And it certainly wouldn't have been something that a rabbi would have done with a woman. Then they talk personally. Jesus calling out all this deep personal moments about her life, saying, I see, I know everything you've ever done, but I still want to have a part in your life. 
And he spends all this time revealing all this personal stuff about her marital situation. So they talk theologically, they talk personally, and then finally, they talk honestly. You see, this woman doesn't hold back. She just brings it all out. But neither does Jesus. Jesus doesn't hold back either. Jesus reveals to this woman who he is. He chose her. He chose this woman to reveal his identity, his mission here on earth. You know, Jesus knew exactly what he was doing that day when he brought the good news to this woman. And Jesus didn't have to, but he had to. He didn't have to, but he had to. And friends, that's the love of Jesus. That's the grace of Jesus. That's the mercy that sees many of us here today. He didn't cooperate with that religiosity that says, I have to do this. This passion, this love for all, this moment of wanting to see as many people saved as possible, gave Jesus this opportunity to say, I don't have to, but I have to. You see, he loved her so much that he didn't want to not share this incredible news with her that would change her forever. But then, as a result of her actions, change a whole time. So what happens next can briefly be shared in six points, which I'd love to share with you about how then we, as a church, and how we as God's people can also be disciple makers and be people that take seriously the sharing of our story and then the sharing of God's story. So if you're with me, we're going to go through six points. Are you with me? Say yes, Amy. Yes, Amy, here we go. Number one, number one, the going. Number one, the going. She did not need Jesus' permission. And actually, she didn't need anyone's permission when you think about it. Verse 28, if you're following with me, says this. Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, we'll pause there. This woman, she didn't even hesitate. She was so filled with this story and this encounter of Jesus that she decided there and then, I'm going to go. Here's the thing, friends. She didn't have to, but she had to. She didn't have to, but she had to. Think about this. She was a social outcast. Even among her own people, she was demeaned and despised, disrespected and overlooked. But this woman thought that Jesus was such good news, she couldn't help but keep it to herself. She wanted the whole town to know. So you notice that the author in John says that she left her water jar. Now think about the significance of this. This water jar would have been precious. It would have been valuable. It would have been a much needed object for the women at this time when often their primary job was to draw water from the well. And many have theories as to why she left this water jar. Was she acting symbolically because of the water of life that Jesus spoke to her about? Did she simply in her enthusiasm forget and leave it there in a hurry was she leaving it for Jesus because she knew that Jesus didn't have anything to draw his own water from my thinking is this my thinking is that she left her water jar behind so she didn't have to cooperate with the weight of what that jar looked like it would slow her down my thinking is that she left that water jar behind because she knew that this town needed Jesus more than it needed any type of water. And my thinking is she left this water jar behind because she was coming back. 
And not only was she coming back for more of Jesus in her life, but she was bringing back a whole town of everybody else who needed to see this Jesus. Could this be the Messiah? She didn't have to, but she had to. Something deep inside of her just resonated and the love of Christ bubbled so much that it wasn't a duty. It wasn't something that she felt like she had to do. She had to do it because the passion of Jesus just spilled out in her life. So we've got the going and then we've got the sharing. So she says, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Now imagine if we were put in that situation where we were told by someone everything we ever did, warts and all. So this woman boldly shares her experience with Jesus in her town. And the text doesn't say how she shared or what she shared, but we can certainly imagine her enthusiasm. And we can certainly imagine that the storytelling her came to life as she urged others to come and see for herself. You see, her boldness and her willingness to share her story is a challenge for every single one of us, that we too are called to share our stories. And if she can, we can. You see, comparison, imposter syndrome, fear, hesitation was nothing to do with what this woman had. Yet for us, so many of us are bound by comparison, bound by fear, bound by imposter syndrome when it comes to the thought of sharing our story of how we came to know Christ. How can we do business with our fear? How can we do business with our reservation? when it comes to sharing Jesus. Like my story that has some incredible moments, I will fight with every single person that tells me that story was not real. And you know, Matt often says, and you've probably heard him quote, that you know people can disagree with your theology, but they can't argue with your story because your story is your story. Your story is the thing that happened to you. It can't be robbed, it can't be stolen, it can't be taken away because you experienced it. So we've got the going, and then we've got the sharing, and then we've got the inviting. Come see a man. Come see a man who told me everything that I ever did. And she leaves this kind of hang question mark. Could this be the Messiah? Could this be the Messiah? You know, years ago, when I was working for Paul's Children Youth Ministries, we used to do big children's events around the UK. And we did a holiday club for 800 children, which was pretty amazing. And it was an ecumenical event. And as a result, we needed a whole kind of town, basically, to help us. Every single denomination possible helped us to pull off this event called Holiday Bible Week. And we were responsible for doing the team devotions every morning and every night. And it got to the day where we were sharing the gospel, the good news of Jesus to 800 children and also 200 adults and also young people that were helping us put on this mission. So I got up at the very start of the morning and I said, folks, team, I've got two really, really exciting pieces of news for you. And you're going to be overjoyed when you hear what is going to happen today and what has happened today. Are you ready? And they all said enthusiastically, yes. I said, number one, I'm engaged, right? This is 10 years ago the whole place went barmy I kid you not people actually stood up some people started hugging each other one lady cried which kind of made me think what on earth is happening but everybody went absolutely mental with joy for me okay now I was lying 
I was saying a big fat lie. Like, I wasn't engaged. But then I said, <laughs> thank you, Jesus, says Matt. But then I said, and here's the other piece of news. And the other piece of news is even more exciting than the news of my engagement. Do you want to know what it is? And everyone got really pumped and was like, yeah. I was like, are you sure you want to know what it is? Yeah. And I said, we're sharing the gospel with 800 children today. And everyone just went, wait. <laughs> it was like a fist firework that failed. Now you could be here sitting thinking, naughty Amy. But yeah. Naughty Amy, she did lie. Naughty Amy, she kind of set them up. She tricked them. But friends, this is the stark reality when it comes to sharing the gospel. This is the stark reality when it comes to us sharing the good news of Jesus and then our unique, beautiful, precious story within it. We're not enthusiastic. We are not as passionate enough as we should be. And the response and the difference of the response, which yes, would have been amazing if that was true that I was engaged, is nothing compared to the life change changing story of Jesus in our nation. Friends, we need a wake-up call that if we say, if we truly say we're part of a church that's called Zio, which means passion, passion for God, passion for God's people, passion for his story, we need to get our priorities in check when it comes to the great truth that we are not as passionate for this story as we should be. And actually our tears aren't as brilliant as they should be. Where do we need to ask God today for a new excitement for Jesus? Where have we lost the passion of our own story of what he's brought us from and then to? And where have we lost the passion of Jesus' story and his never-ending grace for our lives? So we have this going and we have this sharing, we have this inviting and then we have this bringing. Verse 30 says this, they came out of the town and they made their way towards him, Jesus. You see, this woman, she was always going back. She was always going back for more of Jesus for herself, but she was bringing many to Jesus. You know, she knew that she was called to be a bridge builder for people. She was called to build a bridge for people to get them to Jesus. And folks, we're all called to be that bridge as well. You know, our stories, our Christian witness are often the things that actually propel people with enough courage, with enough response to then say, okay, I'll come and find out more about church. Okay, I'll come and find out more. And this kind of bringing was an important responsibility. And it's an important responsibility for us too when it comes to really what it looks like to be disciple makers. We have a responsibility here not to kind of shy away from that moment we have a responsibility to be the church that goes be the church that shares be the church that invites but also get our hands dirty and say I will bring you back to Jesus I will be that bridge I'll be that bridge builder because if we don't who will and then there's two more to go the next point is the staying and this is a beautiful thing about this woman she was committed she saw it through. Verse 40 says this. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him, that's Jesus, to stay with him. And he stayed with them two whole days. Now, folks, we've got to remember that this is a long trip for Jesus, a Jew that's staying in a place where nobody else has been before. And Jesus is role modeling. And the answer to that first initial question, why would you have anything to do with me? Jesus is now in the position of speaking to a whole town, saying the reason I don't have anything to do with you is because of my love, my living water, my grace, my salvation. 
So he stays for two whole days. And when it comes to us, there's a deep challenge about our staying power for the gospel, isn't there? There's a deep challenge when it comes about our staying power for our own story. We get um, kind of, I guess, unconfident because we think if we're rejected, we think if we've shared it with one person, we think if we've tried to bring someone and that, that person doesn't come back. The staying power to stay part of this story and the staying power to stay part of our own story of what Jesus has done for us, it starts to wane. But it wasn't the case with this woman. She saw it through. And as a result, verse 41 says, and because of his words, many more became believers. Many more became believers because of this process of obedience and the willingness of this woman against all odds to say, I will be a disciple maker. So we're going we're sharing, we're inviting, we're bringing. And then finally, my last point is, is we're staying. Samaria, it's changed forever. This woman, she's changed forever. Verse 42 says, they said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the saviour of the world. There's this transition and moment where as we play our part to make disciples who make disciples, who make disciples who make disciples, there's then this becoming moment where man, woman, child, elderly, say, we no longer believe because of what you told me, Amy, about your story. We no longer believe because of what we saw at church. We no longer believe because of what we saw in church at home. But we now believe because we've heard it for ourselves. And now we say yes to Jesus. You know, Jesus' parting words for his disciples and his church, which Matt covered before in Matthew 28, known as the Great Commission, says this, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptise them in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. And you know that word go, therefore go, it actually translates to as you are going. As you are going about your daily business, as you're going into your workplaces, as you're spending time in your family, as you're going into B&M to buy something lovely, which I often do, as you are going, we are called to be these disciple makers. We are called to be people that go to the nations. And what's the promise of this beautiful commission? I will be with you always, says the Lord. We all have this kingdom responsibility to share the story of Jesus. But if we're honest, we all have a ton of reservations. And I wonder if we were really honest right now as we start to wrap up these pre this preach, what would our reservations be? How are we taking responsibility in the area of being a disciple maker? But also today, is it possible that we could do business with Jesus about what our reservations are? Reservations like, I can't, I don't have enough time, I have nothing to give, my story's not good enough, it's not exciting enough, it's not powerful enough, it's not relevant enough. Friends, can I just say, 
That's a lie from the pit of hell. It's absolutely rubbish because all of our stories show a moment from death to life. All of our stories show a moment from being lost to found. Your story is unique and beautiful and who knows who could be the hero that is just waiting for your story, not mine. Just having a chat earlier on, talk to Nora. I said to her, Nora, how did you become a Christian? She said, Amy, it all started with a sewing machine. I was hooked. I was like, tell me more. Me and David were in suspense. She's bold enough to tell us her story. She's not there sitting thinking, oh, it's just a sewing machine. It all happened around a sewing machine, but Amy got this handhold moment. That's the enemy. We don't cooperate with comparison. We're not a church who cooperates and says, I'm better than you. We're not a church that actually falls for his, his um, aim. You see, the enemy will want to silence your story. He'll want to keep your mouth shut because your story points other people to Jesus and he will use every tactic possible to stop you from sharing this story. And other reservations might be, I'm not strong enough in my own walk. I'm not trained. I'm scared of looking foolish or misunderstood. What if I get rejected? What if I lose friends? But what if you don't? What if all the opposite happens if you're just brave enough and courageous enough to start somewhere, church? But no one really understands my life. No one knows the pressure and the busyness. Somebody else could do it better. And here's, here's the clangor, and I really feel that the Holy Spirit wants to release this in some of us today. I don't even know if this story matters as much to me anymore. Now, if that's just jumped in your spirit, you need prayer today. And you need to not leave this church building until you've had that. Leave it up to the evangelist. The list goes on about how we cooperate with the lid of our reservations when it comes to be disciple makers and sharing their stories. But none of these reservations are right to be bound by friends. And deep down inside, we all know it. If we're honest, we all have reservations. What are they for you today? And how can we be honest? How can we do business today to release our reservations and pick up responsibility? As I close today, and I wonder if you could just play some keys for me, Tim. I want to close today by sharing with you a list of men and women who could have easily hidden behind reservations who could have easily hidden by circumstances. But instead, they found courage and they stepped up. And in their own sphere of influence, in their own way, they shared Jesus anyway. So Deborah, she was a judge against all odds. Rahab was a prostitute. Sarah was a doubter. Eunice had an unbelieving husband. Naomi was widowed. Junior was a leader of the faith, but then she was imprisoned. Mary was a teenager. Abigail was married to an unwise man. Jacob was a cheater. And Peter had a temper. Lois was an elderly grandmother. The woman who touched the hem of Jesus' garment was ill for 12 years. David had an affair. Noah got drunk. Jonah ran away from God. I 
Hannah was elderly. Hagar was a slave. Paul was a murderer. Gideon was insecure. Miriam was a gossip. Martha was a worrier. Thomas was a doubter. Sarah was impatient. Elijah was moody. Moses stuttered. Abraham was old. And friends, now let me ask you, now what's your excuse? What's my excuse? Can God use you or not? Can God use me or not? Friends, we all have this responsibility to partner with God, to be disciple makers. None of us get off the hook. Not one of us gets off the hook. Our story matters. And the story of Jesus matters. You see, Jesus, he didn't have to, but he had to. He had to because he loves you that much. And this Samaritan woman, she didn't have to, but she had to because she knew that a whole town was fallen and lost. And friends, we don't have to. But wouldn't it be amazing today if Holy Spirit did something that activated us inside of us, that beyond doubt, beyond fear, beyond reservation, this passion and this cry for the gospel just rose up inside of us and we left this place today saying, I have to, I have to, I have to because lives are at stake. I have to because my story could be the story that's then a hinge for somebody to find the salvation and the welcome of Jesus. I don't have to, but I have to. Friends, we need a new passion for God's story. And friends, we need a reawakening for the story of Jesus that is in our life. You know, the Psalm of David, when he really, really stuffs up, says in Psalm 51, Restore to me the joy of my salvation and renew in me a steadfast spirit. If we're honest, some of us have put lids on our stories. We've forgotten the joy of our salvation. And as a result, a steadfast spirit, a steadfast spirit for serving, a steadfast give spirit for giving, a steadfast spirit for sharing the gospel. It feels like it's long gone. We feel like we can't even possibly do anything like this woman has done. Why? Because we need a reminder of what Jesus took us from. And we need a reminder about where Jesus has taken us to. And why? Because we need a reminder of the cross, the saving grace of Jesus that if it wasn't for him, we would be bound and lost to not be with him. Why would you have anything to do with me? The woman said at the well. And then Jesus, in one way or another, reverses that question. And he says back to that woman, and he says back to you today and to me, why would you have anything to do with them? Why would you have anything to do with them? Jesus is calling us to respond. There are towns 
villages, neighbors, colleagues, friends, students, waiting for the story of Jesus, waiting for your story. Would you be brave enough to go? If you're able and if you're willing, will you stand with me? And we're going to conclude in prayer. And we're going to invite Jesus to be with us. Let's just maybe pull out our hands. And let's let the reality of Jesus' story just land fresh into us right now. Jesus didn't have to go to the cross, but he had to. God didn't have to come to earth in the form of Jesus, but he had to. Jesus, we thank you that you care for us. We thank you, Jesus, that you love our story, our unique story. I pray, Jesus, for a newfound, fresh love of our story. I pray, Jesus, for boldness and courage to rise up in the life of our church and that we would truly live out our name and our identity of being your passionate men and women. That you would start with us, God. That with courage and with boldness, God, we would be those people that go. We would be those people, Lord Jesus, that share. We'd be those people that invite and bring and stay and become. Help us, God, in this moment. And give us courage to share our story and share your story. We just wait on you for a moment, Lord. Time has run on for us today. And so we do need to conclude the service. But as we do conclude, I want to give you an invitation, two invitations. Stay for prayer. It'd be great if we could just break something and a load of us, we just all of a sudden realise want to stay for prayer in this matter. And secondly, I'd like you, before we conclude the service, instead of rushing off, and I know that some people need to go somewhere, why don't you start in a place of safety and turn to the person next to you, tell them your story. Tell them how you first came to know Jesus. Tell them why Jesus has made a difference in your life. And if that's not relevant to you yet and you've not yet come to know Jesus or you're on a journey, just if you're willing and you feel comfortable, just listen to someone else's story. Let's start here. Let's build up some faith about the beauty of our own stories. And then let's build up some courage to go. So Father, in the name of Jesus, as we close church today, we come before you with humble hearts, 
with hearts that need you. We can't do this without you, Lord. We come before you with a little bit of fear and a little bit of trembling that accepts the responsibility to want to be disciple makers, expects the responsibility to want to go, but we're scared, Lord. So we ask that, Lord Jesus, you would give us help, that you would give us hope, that you would give us courage, Lord, to start somewhere, that, Father God, it wouldn't be out of duty, it wouldn't be out of task, Lord God, but there'd be something that shifts in us through you, Holy Spirit, today that says we have to go and we have to go because we're committed to this story and we have to go because we know that life are at stakes and we have to go because we know that Jesus could change our neighbours, Jesus could change our friends, that Jesus could change any circumstance and any fear and any darkness. We don't have to, but we have to. And so, Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that you'd release courage and boldness today. And before we leave this building today, God, that every single one of us would share our story or every single one of us would listen to someone else's story. We pray this in the name of Jesus.